This is Artists in the World, a joint podcast brought to you by Carnegie Museum of Art and WQED in Pittsburgh. I'm Jim Cunningham, WQED-FM's Artistic Director, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dana Bishop-Root, the Director of Education and Public Programs at Carnegie Museum of Art. In this episode, we hear from Ignacia Biskupovich, a visual artist, educator, and head of community engagement at the Museo de la Solidaridad Salvador Allende, and Jennifer Josten, an associate professor of modern and contemporary art at the University of Pittsburgh. The pair are in conversation with a live audience as they discuss resistance art and pedagogy, nomadic museums, and MSSA's exile from and return to Santiago, Chile. Dana, after hearing the live conversation, what lingers in your mind? One of the things that I love about this conversation between Jennifer and Ignacia is that Ignacia shares with us the way in which Museo de la Solidaridad Salvador Allende is an institution that truly reflects the history of Chile, the social and political history of Chile. And so it's incredible because in the way that we all bring culture and look at culture and participate in culture at our museums, the Museo de la Solidaridad Salvador Allende is a space that is responsive and reflects back the social and political history, which becomes a part of culture. So this history, this kind of contemporary history of this museum, which was created by incredible donations of artworks from artists throughout Central and Latin America, um, from artists around the world, in fact, is that it was a collective practice. And then the way in which it had to respond to the social and political shifts in Chile. And so not only do we see it as a site of cultural production and cultural conversation, but also a responsive reflection to a living history. So, for instance, um, after Allende was assassinated, the museum had to go into exile. And what you'll learn from this conversation is that even the name of the museum changed in response to that. And so when we think about the institutions that we're a part of, we so rarely think about how they are impacted by the social and political histories around us. The other thing that, like, I can't stop thinking about, Jim, is... You'll hear Ignacia and listen for it. She talks about her model of a museum and the kind of the pedagogical approach to thinking about MSSA and how it operates in the neighborhood in which it lives is that it's the same as a soccer field without edges. And so there's you're, you're going to hear her talk about this idea that there's a certain term that's used when um, kids or adults are playing on a field that isn't a formal field, right? Um, and she thinks about the museum in that way. Is The museum is not an institution that has walls, but actually it's this expansive field that's part of the neighborhood. One note is that the live conversation took place both in Spanish and in English creating incredible rich connections of language. For the purposes of this podcast, I have created an English language voiceover to translate Ignacia's Spanish. It's a great honor for me and a great pleasure to have this opportunity to be in conversation with Ignacia, uh, who I have had the, um, had been able to meet uh, thanks to the work of the team here at Carnegie Museum of Art. So many thanks to Blaine Siegel, to Dana Bishop-Root, 
um, to Jesse, who's helping with the sound, and the rest of the team. And uh, thanks, too, to the team of the 58th Carnegie International, the curatorial team, for bringing uh, a part of the Museo de la Solidaridad Salvador Allende, the Salvador Allende Solidarity Museum, the MSSA, here to Pittsburgh. Um, uh, to begin, Ignacia, uh, we're looking here on the screen at an installation shot of what we see upstairs in the SCAFE gallery currently. Um, this, is, uh, this is a project that you and your colleagues have sent here from Chile. Can you tell us a little bit about what we're seeing and how this, how this relates to the museum's program more broadly? Thank you. Thanks for being here. I would like to tell you about Ports of Solidarity. It is the first exhibit by the Museo de la Solidaridad Salvador Allende, Salvador Allende Museum of Solidarity in the United States. It is a project that started last year in 2022, which was the 50th anniversary of the museum's first exhibit in Santiago, Chile. By appreciating the works, you will somehow be able to see the exhibit tell the story of how different artists from around the world acknowledge themselves as historical figures that are also involved in different social and political events around the world. On the other hand, it also collects and exhibits the museological model of the Museo de la Solidaridad Salvador Allende, which is a rather unprecedented model that to this day continues to expand and to be a subject of study in other regions. I would like to start by telling you a bit about the Museo de la Solidaridad Salvador Allende. As Blaine was saying, it's a museum of modern and contemporary art that is currently home to a collection of approximately 3,100 works. And it is one of the most important collections of modern and contemporary art in Latin America. Bueno, so to continue uh, a bit, and this is the first, so this is the first exhibition of works from the collection in the United States, right? But works uh, from the collection had been shown and continue to be shown in other countries, right? And have for some time. So I think that's something you'll, you'll tell us about. But the first question really is, who is Salvador Allende? Uh, why is his name in as a part of the name of the museum, right? Um, we, we might note, you might tell us also um, about why or how it is that the word art is not in the name of the museum. This is the Museum of Solidarity's first exhibition in the United States. But this is not the first exhibition of this museum outside of Chile. In fact, this is part of its history which is why the museum is known as one that travels to different parts of the world and has no inside or outside. It somehow transcends the exhibition halls. For those who don't know, Salvador Allende was the first socialist president elected democratically in 1971 from the Unidad Popular Coalition. The Unidad Popular government sought to democratize access to art and culture. In this context, several art institutes and schools were formed and the Museum of Solidarity idea was developed. To make this Museum of Solidarity a reality, we invite artists from all over the world to collaborate on creating a museum for the people of Chile that will be entirely supported by donations. 
In a way, those donations of art from artists around the world helped support the political process in Chile at the time that was led by Salvador Allende. As I mentioned earlier, Allende led Chile's journey to socialism, resulting in a democratic and peaceful transition from capitalism to socialism. The museum's current building isn't the original one. In fact, when this museum was founded, it didn't have a physical location, so it could travel to many locations outside of Santiago's city center. In this first period, when the museum was simply known as the Museum of Solidarity, without Salvador Allende's name, more than 700 works by renowned artists from around the world arrived, including works by Joan Miró, Victor Vassarelli, Ligia Clark, and Frank Stella. Artists like these were difficult to find in Chile at the time. So the, so the question then um, that you're asking, right, is like what, um, what can this museum mean? What, what can the MSSA, which is a project very much of the Cold War era, right, a Cold War era initiative, mean for the people of Chile today? It was dedicated to El Pueblo uh, de Chile, right, the people, the people, the masses of Chile. Um, who owned the works, right? And, and how is the museum funded? First of all, those are, those are some questions to ask. That is basically what we ask ourselves. What does a museum represent to Chileans today? Especially since the word pueblo no longer has the connotation it did in the 1970s Chile. To put this into action, the museum's director proposed a collaborative curatorship of the museum's collection along with the residents of Barrio Republica. To accomplish this, we formed an interdisciplinary team made up of the museum's education department and two sociologists, and we went out on the streets to get to know the neighborhood. As I was saying, the underlying idea of this collaborative curatorship was that the neighbors learned about the museum's collection. Because of the museum's size, we decided to collaborate with its neighbors. The museum isn't very big, and as I mentioned, it's a bit far away from Santiago's other art museums. We went out with two sociologists to do a neighborhood survey. Around 300 people participated, and we discovered that most residents, or a significant number of residents, had never heard of the museum. Even those who knew it existed were unaware that it was an art museum. They only associated it with the figure of Salvador Allende. The worst part is that they thought it was closed to the public. We realized that this collaborative curation of the museum's work would have to wait till later with this information. First, we needed to bring people into the museum. Then we discovered that the residents of Barrio Republica highly valued the history of their neighborhood, and they were eager to showcase the richness of its tradition to the museum. As a result, in 2017, we began holding monthly meetings with groups of roughly 20 neighbors. It was very interesting because we met after the museum's operating hours. We all stayed a little longer to share a meal or to get to know the museum and our neighbors even better. Through this, we decided to launch artistic production workshops to share the stories of the neighbors from Barrio Republica. We implemented four workshops, one on textile art, one on photography, one on creative writing and bookbinding, and one on mail art. These workshops gave birth to the Haciendo Barrio exhibition, part of the Salvador Allende Museum of Solidarity program. At the museum, 
we invested the same time and effort as the museum did with any other exhibition. One of the things that was produced was a textile map, a collective textile map created by a group of women over the course of six months under the direction of artist Daniela Pizarro. There in the middle of the map is Avenida Republica, which is like the neighborhood's main icon, as well as other streets and the museum. It also reveals the neighborhood's many layers of histories and memories. For example, on the map is an image of the people who were captured or disappeared during the dictatorship. As I mentioned before, during the dictatorship, there were detention and torture centers in this neighborhood. There's also something else that is really intriguing. For example, the red spot above Republica symbolizes all of the social demonstrations that frequently originate in Santiago's downtown and finish in this neighborhood. When the exhibition was almost over and the workshops finished, a group of neighbors approached us and said, we don't want this to end. We know the exhibition has to end, but we want to keep going with the workshops. Sure, everybody knew the exhibition was coming to an end, but they wanted all of the workshops that contributed to its success to keep running indefinitely. This was a big challenge for the museum because the project had already been completed. The artists had completed their work and we were already planning the next exhibition. We were surprised, but not much because we met at the museum almost every week, so we built a community. As a result, at the end of 2018, we met with this group of neighbors again and decided to keep the textile workshop and the photography workshop running. We also implemented a community garden in the museum garden. Let's not forget how important preservation is to this art museum. Vegetable gardens and museums are not very common. Because we had no resources left after the exhibition, the same neighbors offered to facilitate the seminars in the first few months. They had already learned a lot. And since many had prior knowledge, they opened these workshops up to the rest of the community. Because their workshops were so successful, the museum team decided to draw up a plan. They established the territorial program to keep these workshops running. They gathered specific resources to support the neighbors and invited other artists to collaborate. That's how we operated until 2019. Okay, so a pause. Right, to talk a bit more about the, the textile workshops in particular mm -hmm. and how this uh, Haciendo Barrio exposition and this, and this map comes out of a tradition of textile workshops that's also represented in the museum. You just said uh, that it was, a, it was a challenge since this was a museum of art, of international art particularly, uh, that at first it was, a, uh, it was startling to the conservation team that you were going to have uh, a garden, that you were going to do some things with insects, right? There would be food, dinners, and things in the museum on one hand and, and this fine art on the other. But that has also been part of the museum since its founding, that connection with textile workshops in particular. Could you speak about those and how this relates to the arpilleras that are upstairs on view in the exhibition now? I was saying that the museum is comprised of works by artists that are well-recognized globally. But on the other hand, other artist collectives were also called upon, particularly during the dictatorship. A highlighted type of this work are the apieras, or traditional brightly colored patchwork, which you'll be able to find in the Carnegie International. 
Those apieras are made by groups of women. Some of the works are anonymous and in a way tell a story of what was happening in Chile during the dictatorship. They used very simple materials and were not artists with formal education, but were artists nonetheless. This work here, which is more recent, can somehow collect that tradition and put it into an art museum. In fact, this textile map was donated by its female authors to the museum's collection. They are part of the museum, just like Jean Moreau and Victor Vassarelli. The female textile artists are represented as well. Okay, bueno. Aquí estamos, and here we are in uh, the year 2019, right? We've made it to the year 2019, which is a moment when Chilean politics becomes a frequent topic of international news uh, it, that, that has continued uh, since then with the, with the more recent vote on a new constitution. Um, how have these events uh, of 2019 and after affected the activities of the museum and or how has the museum participated in uh, these activities? The year 2019 was very important for Chile because massive social protests took place. Students, young people and adults went out to the streets. For many of them, it was their first time taking their protests to the streets to demand change in the Chilean political and social model obviously inherited from the dictatorship. Of course, this is a model implemented by force through the 1980 Constitution, the one still current today. As I said, the protests started getting massive. Their repression on the part of the police and even the military started getting very serious. For these reasons, many institutions, museums included, felt obliged to close their doors. In that context, we were scared. We also asked ourselves what to do. Should we close the museum? What do we do now? So we went back to our groups of neighbors and asked them what to do. It was then that they proposed to open up the museum to hold meetings, to meet and discuss what was happening in Chile at the moment. Besides the photography, gardening, and textile workshops, we started hosting on the streets. We hosted them in the town square, where people were invited to address how they felt at the moment. These workshops offered people a place where space could be held for them and they could find support. For example, with what was produced in the textile workshops, a big collective canvas was put together, which we started bringing with us to the demonstrations. And then, of course, right, this is all the lead up to a global event in, uh, in and after March 2020. How does the, the coronavirus pandemic alter these, these activities. You'd already moved outside, right? Already activated these, these networks, um, created community, right? Created neighborhood through these activities. How, how, did that, uh, how did that manifest in the pandemic? And how has it continued to manifest in the pandemic? ¿Cómo, cómo se vuelve más allá estos, estas actividades? Um, que ya están afuera um, desde el, el año 19 con la llegada de la, de la pandemia. La pandemia fue un golpe muy duro para todos. Obviously, the pandemic hit us all very hard. We were on the streets, demonstrating, and then obliged to go back home. However, we had already established the photography, gardening, and textile groups. 
At that point, they started perceiving themselves as autonomous collectives from the museum. We started learning together and used social media and virtual channels to continue our activities. The textile group is now called Textileras MSSA, carrying the museum's name. Through an online workshop, Dreaming of a New Constitution, it was proposed to continue with the political process that had started in 2019. In those online workshops, people were invited to draft a new constitution through their textile work. That's how two new textile constitutions were drafted, which were later delivered to the Constitutional Convention in charge of that process. They were taken to the Constitutional Convention, the body drafting organization. In parallel to that, another group of neighbors approached us because they wanted to set up a soup kitchen in the museum. The popular soup kitchen somehow responded to the government's lack of policies to meet the needs that, emer that had emerged during the pandemic. There was and still is hunger. The neighborhood has needs. The soup kitchen worked for two and a half months at the museum's entrance garden. And let me remind you again that we are talking about a modern and contemporary art museum with an excellent professional preservation team. The members of this team worried about how the museum's rooms were full of potato sacks and cooking pots alongside of the art. We appealed to the solidarity networks and communicated with other institutions in the neighborhood, establishing a collective net network for this soup kitchen to go somewhere else besides our art galleries. After all, it has to do with our own limits. We as the museum can't take care of everything. Ignacia, I, I, there's a, and this resonates again, right? The comedor popular, the soup kitchen concept of solidarity among neighbors coming together resonates also with a theme that we see often in the arpilleras, in the sewn cloths from the era of the dictatorship, including one that's on view upstairs. Could you, could you, is that something that was noted and talked about within this activity? Um, que esta idea del, del comedor popular es algo que resuena con la olla común que vemos en las artilleras de la era de la dictadura. ¿Es esto algo, este paralelo, algo que se comentaba? De todas maneras, eh, in any case, many of us never participated in the ollas comunes, or common pots, similar to what we were doing now. These were during the dictatorship. We were obviously too young, but we still have the entire historical memory of this practice. There is also a connection with all of these preservation practices of art and with the creation of these collectives that work for the greater good and are also a form of resistance. Pittsburgh, you know, we should, we should make sure in these last minutes to, uh, for you to talk about the things that you most want to communicate to this, to, to the people. Who, who are gathered here at Pueblo in Pittsburgh. And I propose that you, um, that, that a jumping off point for that could be the Stampaton. Super. 
Oh, we're out of time. <laughs> that same thing happens to me. I start a bunch of stories and I have a hard time talking about the lessons learned and the challenges, or I have no time at all. So here I want to share with you one of the awareness events, which was live screen printing on articles of clothing that we had last year outside of our neighborhood. We understood that the museum through its team members could go further and reach communities that were usually not reached by museums and other cultural institutions. The purpose of reproducing these works, which are part of the museum's collection, is to liberate them. So neighbors from different communities screen printed our collection onto t-shirts, handbags, bandanas, and all kinds of things. At the same time, it was a place for collective creation and reflection. In a way, this is something that is at the core of our artistic nurturing. These workshops, instances, are a place of, and on one hand, artistic collective creation, but also of critical reflection, which are two things that always go hand in hand. Favor de explicarnos este concepto eh, difícil de producir, interpretar, pero déjeme eh, interpretarme. Um, so the, the link that Ignacia may make here with the Stampathon, uh, which is both a collective creative experience and one of reflection, um, historical reflection and intergenerational reflection on the specific works that are chosen and, and reproduced in different media to go out into the world here uh, is uh, one way that she can perhaps, I'm hoping, uh, explain to us or help us to understand one of the four themes of the MSSA's exhibition, Spore of, Spores of Solidarity Upstairs, which is a theme that they don't translate uh, in Spanish. It's toda es cancha. Um, the, the, you know, the, the field has opened up. Yes. Yes, the pitch is everything, a phrase shouted by kids. Kids, when they play ball in the street, talk about how kids, when they play ball on the street without edges, means there are no boundaries to the play space. The street, the sidewalk, anything can become a playground. Somehow, the idea of museums as labs and also museums as places of experimentation convey, convey the idea of this thinking that anything can also become a museum. Museums can be taken outside too. I want to say something else. It's important to keep in mind that this is obviously based on artistic mediation. In Latin America, we don't talk about guided tours in the same way that you talk about guided tours here, because at the end of the day, we're not the kinds of educators who think we know everything and tell an audience what we know, assuming they know nothing. But instead, we try to generate spaces for action and reflection in which personal stories are very important as well. Sometimes it happens inside the museum as well as in the street, as it does here. So what's next? What's the, what's the future for the museum? You've, you know, those of us who, who have been able to engage with the museum um, in Chile and here in Pittsburgh have learned so much about the possibilities for institutions now. Where do you 
Uh, where do you see this institution and these these projects going? What's the next What's the next step if todo es cancha? What we are working on now and looking into the future deals with the fact that all community outreach work involves not only the education and mediators, but also our entire museum staff. Do you remember how I said we would stay often after museum hours to keep working and meeting with the neighbors? Now the entire museum team participates in that. That way neighbors can meet the museum's team from within. Our challenge is discovering if this outreach model is sustainable. And do you remember how we would host participatory curatorial activities within the museum, but we didn't think the moment was right at the time? Now is the moment. We have built a relationship of trust. We know each other, and part of the neighborhood community perceives the museum as their own. Deep down, these activities are complementary. They are collaborative artistic practice. The collaborative artistic practice is not secondary to the exhibitions. These things are complementary and coexist. Thank you for showing us this model. Thank you for, for sharing with us um, this process, uh, which is one 50 years uh, and, and counting. Uh, and gives us models uh, and approaches for this concept that is not a common one for, for us in English of artistic mediation, right? Uh, one, that, one, one on which there's, there's emerging scholarship uh, and a lot, of it, a lot of it based in Chile and, and developing there on how we connect through art, with art, by making art, when, uh, when we consider the field of art to be all-encompassing. Thank you very much. Finally, I want to remember that there are no recipes. What worked for us in Santiago might be different here in Pittsburgh, but I think you have a good foundation, which is listening listening to people, talking to the guides, talking to the educators, talking to the receptionist. What are you learning? Also, we have to be very transparent with what we can do, what resources we really have, and when the time is, and what time we have to carry out this work. Thank you for listening. This has been Artists in the World, brought to you by WQED and Carnegie Museum of Art. This season of the podcast has been created alongside the 58th Carnegie International, the longest-running exhibition of contemporary international art in North America, and was recorded on January 26, 2023, at Carnegie Museum of Art Theater by Jesse Soraco. To learn more about this episode, please visit cmoa.org slash artists in the world. And don't forget to subscribe because more is coming soon.